From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thank you for joining us. A two-part episode today, uh, two deals that uh, were worthy of what's the big deal status, uh, and they are both deals that we have previously talked about on this podcast, uh, so today's episode should serve as an update to you. Uh, the first one we will be talking about uh, is the slow slog of a deal uh, we know as Yahoo's sales process. Uh, yet another bidder, but this one with more intrigue than the others, because Warren Buffett is involved. So Bloomberg, Warren Buffett reporter, uh, or expert, I should say, uh, Noah Buhire will be joining us in just a minute. And then later on, an update to Gannett's hostile takeover of Tribune. Uh, Gannett improves its offer, and we'll be talking to Bloomberg gadfly columnist Brooke Sutherland about that a little bit later on. Uh, but first, we turn back to Yahoo, and let's bring in Noah Buhire to talk about this intriguing bid a combination bid in, in, in certain ways, uh, led by Quicken uh, Loans uh, CEO Dan, and founder Dan Gilbert, who also owns the Cleveland Cavaliers, and financed by the one and only Warren Buffett. Hey, Noah. Hey, Alex. How are you? Okay, so look, I think that when everyone heard about this news, Reuters broke the news on Friday. Uh, we then quickly followed up. And I think when, when people started to digest it, the first thought uh, among most people was what a tech deal with Warren Buffett involved. He hates tech deals, he, and 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 really the the investment strategy from Warren Buffett has always been don't invest in things that I don't understand. And yet no one understands Yahoo. So what's going on here? Yeah, that's 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 a great point. I feel like this was a classic case of uh, maybe the the headlines were too short to to actually capture what was going on here. Um, so the important thing to know is that this is, when, when we say Warren Buffett's backing this bid, it means he's, he's, he's agreed to provide some financing for the deal. And that's a very different franchise that Warren Buffett has been building out at Berkshire um, over the last many years from you know the franchise that we all know about, which is Warren Buffett has a bunch of cash. He likes to own businesses forever. He goes out and, 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 and either invests in their stock or, or, or buys them completely for Berkshire. This other franchise that he's been, he's been developing, um, maybe a little bit more quietly or with less attention paid to it, is, is this enormous balance sheet that he has. Um, plus a lot of other sort of structural advantages that Berkshire has in terms of the speed it can work at, um, has allowed Buffett to become a financing partner when people want to uh, make a bid for another company. And uh, that's really what seems to be going on here. And when it's a financing deal, there's a little bit less, um, you know, maybe he's willing to bend the rules or do things that he might not do if he was uh, going to become an equity investor. 
So, Noah, based on the previous deals that you just referred to where Warren Buffett has sort of started a, a franchise on financing deals, uh, is there any pattern in terms of what terms we might expect Warren Buffett to get in such a financing deal if, in fact, his bid with Dan Gilbert wins Yahoo? Yeah, I mean, I think in a word, they'll be gen- they'll be generous. I mean that's that's Warren Buffett doesn't doesn't do deals that don't work out for Warren Buffett and uh uh you know we can look at some of the interest rates on some of the past financing deals he he's done there was one from 2014 he uh helped Burger King acquire Tim Hortons the Canadian donut and coffee chain I think he was earning uh you know it was upwards of uh, 9% something like that on the 3 billion dollars he he put out there uh, plus, he got a, uh, a a little bit of equity along the way uh, in the form of warrants. So, yeah, I mean, th- these these arrangements are, are as a source told me um, over the weekend, he's like these were these are basically heads I win, tails you lose sort of arrangements. He's going to protect his downside. He's going to get paid out well, and he'll do even a little bit better if uh, if the you know underlying uh, merger. Uh, works out. Yeah, so those th- that those terms sound really generous. I mean, nine percent plus equity. So, so is the deal that the the that Warren Buffett is in such a position now that his name carries so much clout and gives a bid heft that he's able to get better terms than anyone else, just so that people can say, "Hey, Warren Buffett is part of this." Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely some element of it gives any bid legitimacy. Um, but there are a couple of other factors that some sources pointed out to me. I think this is this is actually super interesting, and a lot of people don't pay attention to it. But uh, in a situation like this, you know, having a financing partner who can line up several billion dollars potentially uh, on very very short notice is is a valuable thing. You don't have to go to a bank and you know syndicate out the. Uh, the the financing port there, there there's just like there's basically no very very little risk that that Buffett's gonna um you know back out he he really hasn't and he's actually in a couple of cases if you go back to 2008 he helped uh, Dow with uh, their purchase of Roman Haas and even though that deal started to look bad after the financial crisis he stuck with it and agreed to do the deal financing because he wanted to have the reputation of a partner, a financing partner that would would go through with the with what he said he would do. Does Warren Buffett personally have any connection to Yahoo whatsoever? Yeah, that's the other interesting angle, and we're not really sure how much of that is 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 playing in here. But uh, one of his directors uh, at Berkshire Hathaway uh, is a person named Susan Decker, and she was uh, for many years an executive at Yahoo. She was the CFO for a stretch. So certainly, uh, if Buffett wanted an opinion on what Yahoo is, what it should be valued at, what's left of that business, uh, he, he, he would have a very good person to go to. And, and what is the connection between Dan Gilbert and Warren Buffett? Because as you pointed out, this is not a Berkshire Hathaway takeover. Uh, so, so obviously Buffett is involved because Dan Gilbert is involved. Do they have a friendship? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there are some photos floating around the internet. I'm sure you can find them of of Buffett at a uh, Cleveland Cavaliers yes, game. Yes, I, I know. I, there, there's there's definitely a photo of him in a Cavs jersey that I can see yeah, in my mind. Yeah, yeah. They they um they teamed up on a uh, uh, NCAA sweepstakes a couple years ago, and 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 I can't remember. Gilbert might be part of the giving pledge, which is uh, the 
the philanthropy uh, effort that uh, Buffett and Bill Gates and Melinda Gates have been encouraging billionaires to give away half of their wealth. I, I believe Gilbert might be a part of that. Uh, so there's there's uh, definitely some connections there. Um, I don't know how deep they run, but but certainly you know Buffett came out yesterday and said that part of the reason he's willing to do this financing is uh, is because uh, Dan Gilbert's involved. So uh, uh, I want to add a little bit of color to this from my perspective. So I've been following this Yahoo deal for months uh, and have been trying to get a read on exactly how likely each of the various bids on Yahoo is to win. So at this point. Uh, we had heard that there was a consumer, a privately held consumer finance company that had bid on Yahoo for weeks, and we had been trying to figure out who it was. Uh, Quicken, obviously, was the answer there. Uh, in addition to that, we have a whole bunch of private equity firms that have made bids, uh, that, that are some of which who are working with former Yahoo executives. And by the way, this Gilbert uh, Buffett-backed bid, uh, they've also spoken with ex-Yahoo people to try to get a read on the business. Uh, and then, of course, there is Verizon. Uh, that has put in a bid and is working with three different, at least three different investment banks uh, and has been for months on Yahoo. From my understanding, Verizon is still the leading candidate to buy Yahoo. So all of this, all of what we've just talked about over the last 10 minutes may just be a footnote in history. Uh, if, in fact, the Gilbert Buffett-backed bid doesn't win Yahoo, it'll be like, oh, that, that's interesting. But eventually it went to Verizon. And, and I can tell you that from my sources, that seems to be the most likely path still at this point. Right. And Alex, I'm actually curious about that because how much, I mean, when, when, uh, deal, uh, all this intrigue plays out in the, in the press, like how much of this is, is bankers, you know, just generically speaking, trying to influence the outcome or maybe get a bid raised or, uh, you know, increase, you know, the, the, the terms or improve the terms that, that various, uh, bidders are, are, are putting out there. Hey, it's not, it's not just bankers, Noah, it's also activists. And, and if you take a look at who broke the story for Reuters, it was their activist reporter. So like, I'm just saying, I don't know where the information came from, but like there is a large or a somewhat large stake in Yahoo. It's not even that large from starboard there. And like, is it possible that starboard would want to make this, uh, process seem more robust uh, and, and try to get the price up from all the different buyers now that Starboard owns a stake in Yahoo and has settled with Yahoo to make this sales process go forward? Uh, yep, maybe. Uh, so, yeah, there is definitely some of that out there. Uh, so, you know, our jobs is to try to uh, clear away that clutter and talk to enough people on both sides, the buy side and the sell side, to try to get a clearer picture of what's going on. And I can tell you, uh, from many conversations, if you talk to people selling Yahoo, they say this process is going along great. If you talk to people on the buy side, they say this process is an absolute mess. It has been for months. We can't get the information we need. We're trying to figure out what's going on with certain verticals at Yahoo. The information is just not there. We're trying to organize meetings with the leadership, uh, and we're not being able to get in the room with them. There's all sorts of different stories, and there have been for months about why this is not a clean, easy process. And part of the issue is that Yahoo is dealing with like eight different potential buyers, which is very unusual in a process like this. Usually hmm. when you cut down to your first to second round, you're only dealing with a handful, maybe three or four, not eight. Uh, but Yahoo wanted to make sure that they pushed the narrative to the public, that they you know, looked under every nook and cranny for value. And it may be an indication that your end price for this deal is not as high as what some what what some people are speculating. I mean, we have reported that. What, what is in, the range that people are speculating? Yeah, between four and eight billion dollars for the core business. Uh, from my indication, 
uh, that number, certainly if it's going to be, let's say, Verizon buying it, which theoretically has the amount, the, the, the biggest ability to put out a big number there because, A, they're a huge company, and, B, there are synergies between AOL and Yahoo. Do not expect that number to be higher than six. Uh, that, hmm. that, that's what I can say from my... Interesting. From my, from and my where does this all sourcing. end? Uh, it probably ends in a few weeks, uh, I would say. I'd say we're weeks away. Uh, and, and I would imagine the process will go something like this. Yahoo will decide, okay, we've talked to all the bidders. Uh, hey, Verizon, here's our number. Can you meet this? Uh, and Verizon will say yes or no. And if they say yes, Verizon will win. And if they say no, then one of the other seven bids out there will win. That's how I think it ends at this point. Got it. Got it. Uh, Noah Buhire, uh, our Warren Buffett expert and reporter at Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Alex. Joining us now, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist and frequent guest on this show, Brooke Sutherland, to talk about an update to our last week's podcast, Gannett's hostile takeover attempt of Tribune. And there is some new news, and maybe a little bit of surprising news, actually, on this. Gannett increases its bid substantially from Tribune. And if you remember last week when we talked about it, uh, Gannett had offered $12.25 a share, which was much higher than what Tribune sold its chairman, Michael Farrow, just a few months ago uh, at an $8.50 for, uh, value per share. And now Gannett is offering $15 a share, so way higher than their earlier bid and even higher than Michael Farrow's uh, sale just a few months ago in February. Brooke, what do you make of all of this? Look, I mean, I think, you know, Gannett clearly really wants this asset, and I think they see a lot of synergies here. That's sort of what they said, is that assessing Tribune Publishing's first quarter earnings, they see more potential for synergies, and that's what gave them the confidence to raise their bid. And I think, you know, it it already was a substantial premium to where Tribune was trading, but you know, when you look back at its performance over the past year, it did sort of have higher valuations at some point. So I think they're just trying to put a high enough offer out on the table where shareholders or Tribune are like, look, you've got to take this, you've got to engage with them, like, we've got to stop messing around. And I think that's sort of what Gannett is getting at here. That sounds right to me uh, from my reporting around this too, Brooke. I I think the plan here is to come out with a very aggressive bid uh, so that Tribune's shareholders will more or less uh, uh, kick the board in the butt uh, to say, look, you guys have to engage. Otherwise, you know, we're going to come after you with lawsuits because you're breaking uh, your fiduciary duty. And maybe that's what Gannett thought might happen with their original bid. Uh, Well, it sort of already did because you had Oak Tree, who was the second largest shareholder, coming out and saying, you know, you should be engaging with Gannett. You should be having negotiations, seeing if, you know, there's more value that could be gained from a deal with Gannett or otherwise, you know, we're going to have some talk about who's going to be in control of this board. So I think, you know, Gannett's trying to build on that momentum and see if they can get other shareholders involved. Do you have any sense on being able to put this bid in sort of historical context? In other words, $15 a share for Tribune. How does that look relative to other newspaper deals? You know, I think it's really hard to look at newspaper comps because, you know, we've seen deals that have been more trophy assets or we've seen deals where you've had a billionaire come in and just spend a lot of money to buy a newspaper. And I don't think those are necessarily the appropriate comps to use when you have one newspaper buying another newspaper. You know, it's a 
totally different game for Jeff Bezos to come by the Washington Post than it is for Gannett to buy Tribune because Gannett's, you know, trying to make money on this investment. They're trying to come in and, you know, cut out those costs and find a way to grow revenue. And they have a lot more things to be concerned about in terms of creating value than just a billionaire who's buying a newspaper, not as a toy, but as sort of just a way to save journalism or what have you. So I think, you know, that does make it really hard. And Tribune itself has kind of trotted out these trophy price valuations for the Washington Post or for the FT as sort of look at these comps, but they're they're really kind of ridiculous to look at because uh, we did a story, you know, kind of analyzing if you took the valuation multiples for some of those newspaper deals and applied them to Tribune, you just get these like outrageous Valuations, you know, where Tribune would be valued at six billion dollars. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of like, sure, you can trot those out there, but nobody is going to pay six billion dollars for Tribune. So it's like, you know, to what end are those comparisons really useful? Uh, is is there when 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 Gannett came out and said, uh, look, we looked at earnings and there are some more synergies that we sort of discovered. Did they pinpoint what those synergies were? I know one of the things that. Gannett uh, looks at is is uh, Tribune's pension policy, uh, and I believe that was part of it. But I'm not. Did they highlight anything else? I don't know if they really got into the specifics. The original number that they gave was 50 million in annual cost savings, um, and they said that you know they saw room for more, but they didn't put a specific number on that. So we're not entirely clear yet just how much more there might be. You know, it's an interesting process from the sense of raising its bid without actually engaging with the other party, because uh, what you're seeing is uh, exactly what you said, Brooke, in that Gannett is looking at first quarter earnings. They're not even doing their own internal due diligence because there is no exchange of information between the two sides. So really, they're putting out a bid based on purely public information, uh, which I think should be uh, yet another uh, a push for Tribune shareholders to to want their company to engage with Gannett because if they put out a fifteen dollar per share price now, I guess theoretically it could, go, it could go either way. But of course, there's no way. I mean, there's very limited likelihood if Gannett wants Tribune that they're going to lower their bid. So really, if yeah, they allow exactly. them to do due diligence, the the upside is there for even higher. I would I would suspect. I would totally agree. I mean, I think the fact that they were willing to raise it as much as they were just based on publicly available information, to me at least, signals, you know, there could be room for another bump here. But Tribune is going to have to come to the table if it wants that. And I think, you know, going back to our original conversation, Gannett is being aggressive just because it feels like it doesn't really have another option now. You know, Tribune put a poison pill in place and, you know, is basically throwing up all of these obstacles to any kind of takeover. And I think Gannett really feels like it needs to get the shareholders on its side. So the next steps I would imagine here, and and, and if you didn't listen to last week's episode, we really go into this deal more in depth uh, with Bloomberg media reporter Jerry Smith. So I suggest you listen to that one uh, and then maybe you can even come back and listen uh, to this conversation right now. But uh, <laughs> Tribune has has pretty much dug in its heels and says it doesn't want a deal Really, as far as I can tell, only because its new chairman, Michael Farrow, wants to run the company. Uh, and, 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 and there seems to be little evidence that Tribune really feels like uh, its valuation is going to be significantly higher, certainly than $15 a share, when it just sold shares to Michael Farrow in February for $8.50. So at this point, I think Gannett has a pretty strong argument to Tribune shareholders that they've, they've got to at least attempt to convince their board uh, to negotiate with Gannett, unless I'm missing something here, uh, because the valuation no, uh, is just so much higher. 
And I think, you know, that's been their biggest problem. If you want to call it a PR problem, they haven't really answered that question. You know, why is it fair that you sold these shares to the chairman at 850, but now, you know, Gannett's 1225 undervalued, and they haven't really said yet how they're going to respond to this 15. But they haven't really explained that discrepancy. You know, they've come out with this new strategic plan where they're going to use this artificial intelligence platform to make more money out of their content. But that's, you know, it could be years before we really see results of that. And you're sort of asking investors to take a really big leap of faith and potentially risk losing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in value. So as far as next steps go, what I would imagine might play out here is that more Tribune shareholders speak publicly and say, we want the board to engage. You mentioned, Brooke, that Oak Tree already did this, but they're the only ones. They're the only major shareholder that has said anything publicly. So I would imagine that Gannett, I know, in fact, uh, that Gannett has been uh, trying to pressure Tribune shareholders to come out publicly uh, and support uh, the idea that these two sides need to negotiate. What I would imagine happens here is that we see one or two other shareholders publicly say, look, this bid is too good. You guys need to come to the table here. Uh, and then after that happens, I still think it's an open question about what Tribune does. Sure. And, I, you know, they have the annual meeting coming up at the beginning of June, and Gannett is pushing for shareholders to withhold their votes for Tribune's board nominees, which I think, you know, if we don't see any developments before that meeting, that will be sort of a referendum on Tribune shareholders. And of course, the, the other possibility of what often happens in cases like this when there's a hostile deal like this and there isn't a dual class share structure, which there isn't in this case, is that you can get activists involved. So there was a lot of heavy trading volume when Gannett came out and raised their bid. That is a sign that more activist-ish shareholders have taken a position in Tribune. And perhaps if no mm -hmm. deal happens, uh, then those guys will come. And of course, the whole game for activist shareholders is to come out and publicly say, uh, we want a deal to happen. It Brooke, seems like a slam dunk from an activist perspective to say, look how high this bid is. I mean, you've got to take a look at this because the stock, I believe, last time I checked, is still trading slightly below Gannett's offer. So, Brooke Sutherland, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist, weighing in on the latest news here, Gannett increasing its hostile bid from twelve twenty-five a share to $15 a share for Tribune. This, too, we will keep following on Bloomberg Deal of the Week. Thanks, Brooke. Thank you, Alex. So that's it for this episode, a two-part episode, as you heard. Uh, make sure you join us each week. Uh, you can catch the podcast on Bloomberg.com, streaming, or you can also catch it on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever app you use to listen to the show. And please rate and review the shows while you're there. Also, if you enjoyed this show, you should tune into all of our Bloomberg podcasts. They include Benchmark, which is a really good show with Dan Moss, Aki Ito, and Tori Stilwell. Uh, they sort of go into stories that drive the global economy each week, and they talk about them in a way that's really relatable. Uh, I hope we do the same here on Deal of the Week, but they certainly do a good job talking about the global economy in terms that anyone can understand, and it's really worth listening to if you are an economics junkie or if you are a novice. Uh, you can get that also uh, on Bloomberg Podcasts on whatever app you use and also on Bloomberg.com. And follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. See you next week here on Bloomberg Deal of the Week.
From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.